Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our eighth episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please find me at Home Bodies Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. (sighs) My practice this week has been fun. Can I say that? Yeah, it's been fun, which I'm sad to say I kind of forgot that the yoga practice could be fun. Um, it all started when I took, uh, so my friend, good friend, Valerie Starr, she teaches in Portland, Oregon at a studio called Love Hive. And on their website, they've posted these mini classes of hers and they're all, uh, each class has a different element theme. So there's a water class and an earth class and a fire class. And they're about all like about a half hour long. So I took the water class and as you know, Valerie has like or maybe you don't know, but if you listen to episode five, you would know. Valerie is like amazing at playlists. So she had a playlist on Spotify that went with the class. And I don't, I haven't been listening to music when I practice, but I was like, oh, what the heck? <laughs> so I like queued up the music and her class was just like really flowy and feel good and like fun. And she just has a really like fun, sweet attitude um, while she teaches. And it was kind of like getting to talk to her, hang out with her because, it, you know, she's a good friend of mine. And the class was just like so much fun. And I just put me in such a good mood the rest of the day. So this whole week, I've just been like, oh, like maybe I need to like play some music and like just flow around a little bit and let this practice be like a little bit more flexible, pun intended, or like a little bit more open ended instead of, I don't know. I mean, my practice has gotten kind of austere, like just very silent and specific and very into alignment um yeah which I think is important too and actually I've been thinking a lot about that sutra we talked about last week of um stiram and sukham that every pose every yoga pose or every way that we root ourselves to the earth should have both stiram which is that like discipline and um kind of like yeah like discipline or like energy and sukham which is like this ease or, or sometimes it's translated to joy and that every pose should have both those things and and you know I think my practice is getting a little bit more into the stiram side and I kind of forgot about sukham which is interesting because um so Valerie and I both trained at the studio Laughing Lotus and it's really I would say like the first time I considered myself having a yoga practice was through Laughing Lotus and going there um, and it's eventually actually where I was trained and um, Laughing Lotus is known for uh, kind of being like really like fun and wild and like a like a party on your mat you know which is so great in a way and like so it really did teach me that movement could be joyful which I is such an important lesson. Uh, but you know, I think everyone kind of rebels from the yoga practice they grow up in, right? I sort of had my yoga adolescence and in that rebellion, I got much more, uh, austere and very, uh, obsessed with alignment and very, um, interested in, in practices that have very specific sort of 
quote unquote goals. Uh, and which is great too. Like I, I did really need to learn more about alignment to be a better teacher. Um, and then I learned so much from Annie Carpenter and Jason Bowman, but I, in that I like sort of forgot about the joy (laughs) somehow. And I think also like, you know, having it be more of a home practice and, um, yeah. And, and just the, the lack of time that comes with being a new mom, I, I think with all of that, I just got very, I don't know, I got very steer on me, I guess. <laughs> and I kind of forgot about that joy and that ease that could come from the practice. And I just have noticed that when I kind of focus on that, and I think especially now during these days of, um, I guess we're not in quarantine, what do you call it? These days of not being able to go anywhere, <laughs> I guess. Uh, it feels really good to have my mat be kind of like this, like, joyful, uh, unexpected sort of almost like a little bit of, yeah, like a little bit of a party, um, you know, at 7am when I practice and then I come downstairs and I just feel like I have this more fun, joyful attitude with my son, in my house, you know, with my husband and it's been really great. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess it is just so important to have both. Cause of course, if you go too far into stiram, into sukham, right, this just like joy and ease with everything that doesn't leave room to have, you know, other feelings in your life, which of course are always going to come up. You know, life is not always happy or joyful, which I'm sure I don't need to say. I'm sure, you know, uh, and I also think part of stiram is this focus on the present moment and this focus on what's happening and, without a focus on what's happening, not only do we never change, but we never have, or I said, I'll say it for myself. Like if I don't notice what's going on and what's happening, I never have the urge to change my life or to help those around me. Right. You need that awareness and that awakeness to, uh, facilitate change. But I think I, you can also, I, I, you know, I can also go the other way into just being so disciplined and so, rigid in my idea of what the yoga practice should look like that I forget that uh, the yoga practice is really to help me be better at being a person (laughs) right so to help me be uh, kinder and gentler and sweeter and more peaceful Uh, and I need to experience joy to have that right or I mean I know I do Maybe you can relate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like a roundabout way of saying like my practice has been super fun because it's been like flowy and I've been playing really fun music and um, all thanks to Valerie. Yeah. And that Valerie has a really good way of taking those things we learned at Laughing Lotus that like sukum joy and ease and kind of braiding it in with a really smart alignment. Um, so it's definitely something I look up to her as a teacher in and I, and I hope... I'll be able to facilitate that again if I ever teach again, which I hope I do. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then it's kind of just a fun week because this week I... My interview is with Amy Wo, who is the owner of Disco Wellness, which is like just a really fun, like the the theme of this podcast is fun today. So I hope you're ready for that. (laughs) Um, It's just like a really energetic, uh, honestly, just full of joy, uh, kind of 
movement practice where she does she teaches boot camp and yoga hit and um all sorts of things and as I say in the interview she's like the only person who has ever convinced me that squats can be fun (laughs) which amazing of her and uh yeah I hope you enjoy it she has a really a lot of really interesting practices she does and uh is just really excited and enthusiastic about so many different things and it's uh just an inspiration so I hope you enjoy this interview with Amy welcome Amy thank you so much for being here oh Rebecca it's a pleasure thank you for having me on the podcast of course so first what what is it exactly that you do That's a great question. As you know, I do a lot of things (laughs) in the fitness and wellness world. I have a company called Disco Wellness, and I go by the name Amy Woe. My real last name is Polish, and it's really hard to pronounce. You look at it, and no one ever knows how to say it. So years ago, in another lifetime, I actually used to produce hip-hop beats. And I would take these hip-hop beats onto stages in San Francisco nightclubs, and I would perform these beats live in hip-hop competitions with other mostly male hip-hop beat producers. And when I was starting this little this little chapter of my life, I, I consulted with my roommate at the time, who was also a, a co-conspirator in creative endeavors. And I said, Josh, what am I supposed, I don't know what to call myself. I'm not a DJ. What I'm doing is not DJing. What do I call myself? And he just goes, you're Amy Woe. Because my last name is Volosian, for those of you that are interested in that that Polish, the real version of my last name. And he, he used to write Amy Woe on, and I didn't even make the connection, but he used to write that on the checks because I would pay the like big check for the apartment rent. <laughs> so Amy Woe was bor- birthed many, many moons ago. And then when I started this fitness company about seven years ago, started with teaching um, spinning classes. So I started on a really high energy level of teaching in the fitness world. And so what I do now, I still teach, teach group exercise classes. They're still pretty high energy. I teach hit yoga flow classes. And then I teach a signature class that I call the Woe Workout, which is a 45 minute high intensity interval training workout that incorporates all kinds of yogic, pra- yogic practices and breath work and, you know, warm up and cool down and all set to music and so other things involved in disco wellness, because again, there are a lot of things. <laughs> I teach those classes. I'm also, I'm also a personal trainer. So I have some private clients that I work with on a, on a weekly basis. And what else? I guess that just about covers it. Oh, that's it? That's all you do? <laughs> I'm also a graphic designer. I've been a graphic designer for 20 years, which is interesting to just to call that out, call that forward, because it's from sitting at a desk, at a computer, as my primary source of both income and creative expression, doing that for 15 years, I remember, Rebecca, I remember sitting at, I had a, I worked for myself for almost my entire life, but there was one time where I took a full-time graphic design job at SF Jazz, and it was the most insanely awesome job ever, like being on, on that campus, in that building, the SF Jazz Center, creating graphic designs for the music that was being played right there. And it was also an environment conducive to sitting too much and working too much. 
And if you love what you're doing, you know, it's, it's, it's that thing where it doesn't feel like work, but if you love what you're doing and it's not helping your body, your body is going to tell you. And my body told me as I was sitting at the desk one day, I just, I heard my body say, you cannot do this for another 15 years. You need to figure out another way to generate income and express yourself and, and work in a way that works for me. That was what my body was saying. It's got to work for me. So that's when I started teaching just one class a week. I actually taught two classes back to back. So it was one night a week. I taught two spinning classes, spinning and TRX, which some of the audience might be familiar with. TRX is a strength, it works with your body weight and gravity to, to strengthen and tone your muscles. And I would teach these two classes a week. And what it did was it, it, um, it just created, and I'm going to relay this back to my yoga practice. It created the need for me to leave that office at a specific time because I had to be at the studio to teach. So it, it helped me set a, um, a boundary and it helped me set a goal. I mean, the goal was to, to teach more and more and more, but the goal was to get away from the computer. And I actually do a similar thing now with my yoga practice where I'll sign up for a class and if I sign up for that 415 class, you better believe I am shutting stuff down at 4 p.m. So that I, even though it's virtual and I did the same thing when, when classes were in, in person, I would, I would commit to the class and I would show up. I, have, it's, I don't think I've ever signed up for a class and not shown up. And I know it happens. I mean, as a teacher, I know it happens. I'm not blaming anybody for not showing up to class. But for me, it's a great way to set that intention and to set that boundary around other things too, because I don't let anybody infiltrate on my, my, my practice time. Mm. So speaking of that, what is your practice like this season? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh my goodness. Again, I do. I'm doing a lot, <laughs> but doing a lot in a way that is, so I am i I've always been, um, I mean, in the most general adjective, a hard worker, but dedicated. I love that word better. I've always been dedicated and I've always been passionate. And so when I'm passionate about something, like I'm passionate about design, I'm passionate about music, I'm passionate about movement, I like to do it. And obviously I like to do it, I love to do it. And what I've learned over the years and learned through some major bicycle accidents is that I get to be really intentional about the way that I'm moving and the way that I'm practicing. And I get to really be in touch with my body on a moment to moment basis because my body has been through some extreme trauma and the, the, that moment, like I just described of sitting at a desk and my body, that was because of these bicycle accidents. I physically can't sit for extended, thank goodness. I mean, hallelujah. I can't sit for extended periods of time because it's painful. And so my body wants to be moving. And now I get to use that as a way to teach and guide other people who's maybe, who maybe their bodies don't hurt while they're sitting, but it actually is causing some damage over time to be sitting so much. So that's just a little background, a little backdrop of, of what inspires me to teach and move other people. And as far as to answer your question, I just like skirted all the way around it. My, my personal practice since COVID started, and even before actually, I do want to say this because my yoga practice not only helped me through those bicycle accidents, and I can get into some of that too, but the, the, the daily practice and daily, like uh, I would say like five times a week in studio practice for me started last 
August. So not August, 2020, August, 2019, I started practicing quite frequently in order to go on a yoga retreat and feel empowered and feel like I can practice for seven days straight multiple times a day and enjoy my body and the environment. And that yoga retreat last year, last no, end of October, early November, that just got me into the, the habit, the habit of practicing five to six times a week. And it was probably around that time as well, even though I'm a, I'm a train, I'm a 200 hour yoga certified yoga Alliance certified teacher. I, my home practice, I remember even when we were practicing together, my home practice was never the, I, I, I didn't ever have that every day I need to be on the mat mentality until this year. And I think I, I'm going to thank, I'm going to thank COVID for that because it's just the, the, whatever that movement is. And it doesn't mean I'm taking an hour class every day. It could mean at the end of the day for 10 minutes, I'm getting on the mat and I'm moving in whatever way my body needs to move because that connection, that breath, mind, body, that, that connection to the mat, I see the mat as a place of, reset and it, it feels like home now. Like I can't imagine not going home every day. And I love that, that just to presence that for the audience too, that, and I teach this all day, every day, you do not need to think of movement as, and I always say movement. I don't ever say like exercise or workouts or anything. Movement gets to be whatever amount of time you can put into it. So the most important thing is just to move. And if you have five minutes, you can accomplish so much. You can just like move your energy around in five minutes. You could even do it in two, really. And so, and so I practice that too. I practice moving continuously throughout the day, whether it's going outside for a walk. So some things that I love to do to move myself. I love walking, although it's, it's ironic after the bicycle accidents, riding my bicycle is actually less painful than walking. So I actually love to get on my bicycle. I do like to jog. I wouldn't even say I run because it's, it's like a light jog, but I live right by a beautiful lake. I'm a morning person. So my morning practices, actually, that would be a fun thing to describe. <laughs> Yeah, give it to us. Give me your morning practice. OMG. So if it's not already apparent, I'm a bit of an overachiever. (laughs) I'm an overachiever that just loves the freaking morning. I've always been a morning person. In fact, I just found my birth certificate and it should be no surprise that I was born at 5.30 a.m. And I now wake up at, this might cause a universal cringe amongst the audience, but I wake, I wake up at quarter to five almost every day during the week and around 5.36 on the weekends. And I wake up that early because I do these personal training sessions. Some of them start at 7 a.m. And this early morning practice is actually something that dates back to that time where I was working at SF Jazz. And I knew I needed at that time, if I was going to spend eight to 10 hours in an office doing a job, like with other people, I knew that I needed at least three hours to my three. How luxurious does that sound <laughs> to a mother? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I needed three hours to myself in the morning. So I would wake up early. I would go take a spin class, but that was before I was teaching spin. I would go take a spin class. I would ride my bike home. I would make a breakfast. I would meditate. I would do all these, all these things. And, and so this has been at least 10 years that I've had this kind of robust morning practice. So I wake up, I, um, 
I used to journal. I journaled for like 20 years and now I do a different process, which is a little bit deeper where I'm connecting to my inner self, my inner child, and I'm connecting to my higher self, what some people might call guidance or God. I, I call it the, the 200 year old version of me that knows everything about me that speaks and, 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 you know, guides me. And that's how I see it too. I see it as this 200 year old, like super just robust, wise, loving version of Amy. And then I also talk to the little Amy, the little Amy that went through so much. And I have a little picture of her so I can always focus on her because that's me and my sister. Um, (laughs) Audience, you didn't get to see that because you're only hearing It's very cute. It's it's a super cute (laughs) photo of me and my sister around Christmas when I was probably like four. Oh my God, it's so cute. But that connection to your inner self, that's what helps guide you through your day. It's like trusting your gut, like all those kinds of phrases, like that's your inner self. That's your intuition. So I make it an intentional point to connect on a very deep level with my intuition every morning. And then I go into a Kundalini meditation, which is like, uh, some people out there might know Kundalini yoga. I do a Kundalini, I do a Kundalini meditation right now. I'm doing one that I do two back to back. That's about 30 minutes, but there's one 15 minute one. That's my jam. I've been doing that one since March, April, May, I guess, May of this year. So about six months. Um, and then I go outside and I move my body and I listen to my body. If my body wants to run, it runs. If it wants to just walk, it walks, but I get outside and I get fresh air before I'm inside training and giving that energy to other people. So I, I gather up, I'm like, um, that's how I see it every morning. I'm like gathering up all this energy. I'm gathering up my personal inspiration. I think about the people that I'm about to teach or train. I think about what their body, and I, I don't try to think about it too much, like what their bodies might need, because I'm not going to know until I'm in the moment with them. But I, I just think about them and what they've been through this past week, what we did together last week. And I just get into the mindset. That's, that's what all of this stuff is that I'm doing in the morning. It's to get into the mindset to feel good in myself so that I can help other people feel good in themselves. Okay. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is, <laughs> have a little sip because I have some questions. Um, the first one is, what when you're saying you're connecting to the higher self and your younger self, is this, are you in a seated meditation? Is this uh, just a, a dialogue? What's this look like exactly? So exciting. <laughs> this is something that I actually started in February right before, thank goodness I started this right before the whole pandemic because I had already started this kind of, I have never done this before. This is through a coach friend of mine and it's, it's called inner bonding. So the inner bonding process, the way I do it and the way, the way that it's, it's suggested you do is I sit, so I sit at my computer and do it because I want to have a digital trace of all these dialogues. I have a coach that comes in and and reads my dialogues and she can, she can see what this conversation looks like. She can see the questions that I'm asking my inner self and the higher self. She gives me suggestions. She'll call me forward. She'll be like, you're not getting really deep there. <laughs> like what if, what if, what would happen? Because sometimes it gets it, like this morning, 
I'll tell you, Rebecca, I had no idea what I was about to uncover. I cried for about an hour this morning as I was doing my dialogue. And that doesn't happen all the time. That happens when you do these uh, very specific deep dives. But it's important work to do because it's, it's like, it's a version of shadow work. It's a version of like looking at the darker parts of yourself. I'm a very bright, very vibrant person, very light and happy and just positive. That's just, that's, I have that built into me. And, and just like everybody else, I have a lot of darkness too. And thankfully my lightness always, not to use the T word, but trumps. <laughs> <laughs> the lightness always takes over, it takes over from the darkness, but the darkness is there. So what I did this morning was I really sat with that darkness and I sat with a, a core pain that I didn't even know was in there. Or I kind of, I knew it was in there because I've been addressing it before in, in past different coaching things and, and therapies. And, but there's, you never know unless you ask the questions, right? So I asked my, myself, like, what is this confusion? I don't, I don't know what this confusion is. And the more I ask these questions, and this is all in a, in a, it's in a Google doc. <laughs> so I'm sitting here and I call myself the loving adult. My inner child is inner child and little Amy, I call her little Amy. And then my guidance is my higher self. So I'll have a dialogue with, with little Amy. I just check in with her. I see how she's feeling, what she's feeling, what's coming up for her. And, and then when appropriate, I call in the higher self and I say, what would be the most loving thing I could do for little Amy today to make sure she feels dot, 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 like to make sure she feels supported, to make sure she feels vibrant, whatever's coming up for her. I want to make sure that I call in this higher guidance to help me support her and whatever she's going through. It's really, it's reparenting. You're reparenting yourself. You're, you're, learning from the past and, and how you grew up and seeing what, what, um, what gets to be, I don't want to say adjusted, but it, some, some, sometimes it is an adjustment. Like there was this core pain that I got in touch with this morning and my higher self, I was able to call in and say, Hey, can you take this pain away? I can't do this by myself. Can you take this pain away and replace it with peace? And that just brought so much peace to that, to that peace, <laughs> to that, that struggle. That sounds great. Yeah, I have the same thing where I'm naturally light, which is a gift. It really is. Like I wake up just in a good mood most of the time, no matter what. But it's interesting how uncomfortable it can be to get. I can see why it would feel good to have other people there, like little Amy and also your higher self. I, I couldn't be there just alone. <laughs> oh, gosh, it would be so scary. <laughs> so scary. Not used to it. <laughs> exactly. And that's the, that is the whole problem. I'm happy that you, that you said the A word, the alone word, because that's the whole process of bonding with your inner self is to let that little version of you know that she is never alone. She or he, whoever's listening, that your inner child is never alone. You get to show up for them. And there's that, that could be a whole nother podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's okay. Yes. A lot to talk about there that actually that's so interesting too, because I've never heard this whole theory at all, but that's something when I'm upset, I say to myself, I'm like, it's okay. Little Rebecca. Like I like, I've always naturally done that since I was like young. I can remember like saying like parenting myself. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Awesome. It seems very natural and, and like a sort of a natural process that you're doing. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem to me uh, that foreign at all. That makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. It's, and it's so, it's so interesting to hear you say that because it's so new to, it's totally new to me. And it, it, I had to go through, or I got to go through about three months of pain because I realized how I had abandoned her for most of her life and had let my life be as much as I have. I always had these incredible practices in place. It was that core feeling of worthiness of love. And because I had not intentionally given myself that love, even though I did a lot of practices that would see like self-care, self-care and really loving yourself are kind of two different things. They can be very, they can be very independent of one another. And when you are able to give yourself to become your own beloved and give yourself unconditional love, that's really the only way you can possibly, I'm just going to preach for a second here, but it's, it's the only way you can possibly absorb and accept love from other people. And I didn't realize that until here at 42, I'm just now realizing it. Thank goodness. I mean, yeah. thank goodness I didn't go through my whole life not realizing that. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's not obvious. Yeah. But yeah, self-care is not self-love. Like you can really hate yourself in a bathtub very easily. Done, I've done it. <laughs> Um, okay. And then my other question was about, I, I feel like, um, this is something that us wellness professionals say a lot that is hard for people to relate to, which is they say, like you said, when you chose, you know, you go outside and you move your body and you just listen to your body. Mm-hmm. I don't think listening to your body is that simple, right? Like, it's like not. how did you, how did you start to, to recognize what it is your body needed? Cause I think so many people are so in their heads all the time. Like, mm-hmm. like how do you start that practice of recognizing what your body needs? Well, I do like to say, and I would like to say this to the audience that the sooner you can get in touch with your body and, and intentionally like, sit with yourself and do a body scan. Mm. Like just have a seat and do a body scan from top, from top of your head, crown of your skull to the tips of your toes. Just like scan the body. How are you? How's my head feeling? How's my neck feeling? How are my shoulders feeling? And just give each body part its own time in the spotlight. Give the mic to each body part. Let that fucking body part. Because if you don't, if you don't let those, if you don't get in touch with how you're feeling, it's going to get to the point like I reached when I was in the chair, in the 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 desk behind the computer at SF Jazz. I love you, SF Jazz. They're one of my favorite. Um, like freelance clients now. Um, I realized freelance was the way for me to go. Um, but sitting at that desk, like I said, that was the first, I think that was probably the first time I actually heard like my body say, you got to figure something out. Like you, and, and a lot of times it won't, you won't even hear that message until an injury happens until the body is like, you're not checking in with your body. You're not checking in with how you're feeling. And then an injury can happen. And it could be something just like a, like a pulled muscle or, you know, like a twist of the ankle or a sprain. I will say this. I, and I hope is my deepest hope that no one ever needs to go through the extreme physical challenges that I've been through. But I do. And I always say that I'm thankful that I went through these things because it brought so much awareness to my body and so much appreciation for the ability to freaking move. It's like, until you have something taken away from you, you don't realize how much it means in your life. And that can go like in, to anything on any scale, but until something is taken away, we take things for granted and I can never, ever take movement for granted ever again. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so, so you've had 
Wait, look, can we go through the list? <laughs> I know. How, you've had two bike, two pretty, very serious bike accidents. Is that right? I've had, I've had three. Three. And, wow. <laughs> and a lot of people And you're don't still know on it. your bike. <laughs> Almost every day. Yeah. Well, I will Good say this. You. A lot of questions came up around that time. And I and I, I know this is just a natural reaction from people when they hear about the, and I can, I, I have an elevator pitch version of all these stories. <laughs> um, I have all lengths, but I, I can give you the short versions for sure. Um the third one, I know. The first two were so dramatic that so the third one, I used to feel almost embarrassed about telling the third one because I was like, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe this. You want to know why my ankle is made out of metal? Well, let me tell you, I was on my bike in San Francisco and an 18-wheeler took a turn without a turn signal on and oh ran over me. And when I say ran over me, that sound, I mean, it was dramatic. He ran over the front tire. I was riding a, ma- a mountain bike and he ran over the front wheel, cracked the frame in half. And mm-hmm. that cracking of the frame allowed the back wheel to break down onto my leg and break my ankle pretty severely. That was all that ha- I mean, there was a lot of other trauma. It was all from the waist down. And I remember consciously. So that was actually that was in 2004. That was when I initially planted the seeds of becoming a personal trainer and taking a fitness fitness route in addition to doing graphic design. And the universe was like, you know what? Let's just get this. Let's just get one thing straight here. We're going to have you focus on graphic design first. And then <laughs> sometime down the line, come back to this whole idea of being a personal trainer. So that's, that's one of the ways I see these accidents as, as lessons and as gifts. I always call them the gifts. And so 18-wheeler hit and ran. I thought that was the craziest story to tell. And then three years later, dramatic pause. <laughs> Three years later on the same, I'm just getting really close to the microphone (laughs) (laughs) because this is where it gets really good. On the same day of the year, September 24th, 2004, 18-wheeler, September 24th, 2007, 17-year-old drunk driver almost took me out. In fact, she made the 18-wheeler look like a paper cut. I mean, this, 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 this accident in quotation marks had me from head to literally from the top of my head to the tips of my toes injuries. And I'm not going to go into the details. The details don't even really matter. It's, it's just the, the severity and the, the, um, one of the aha moments during that, there were so many, but one of them, I was on, I was on a, like a, a stretcher. I was on some kind of like, you know, medical thing in the hospital and going in for some kind of crazy scale. Like, Oh, we got to get this scan. Cause I had a broken neck. I had a couple things happen in my, my, brain area and neck area. And I'm on this, this, whatever, you know, rolly thing, gurney, is that what they're called? Gurneys. Gurney, yeah. And, oh, and when <laughs> I got so excited, I just knocked my mic over. One of the doctors, I remember saying, he looked down on me and he goes, are you a dancer? And I was like, just so out of it. I mean, I was, I was unconscious. I don't know how long I was unconscious for, but I know I was in ICU for three days. So it was at some point during the ICU time. And I remember looking up and saying, well, I like, I love to dance, but I'm not a dancer. Why do you ask that? And he said, because the way your body collapsed into this accident, if you weren't flexible, like you are, you would not be walking. That would have broken your, that would have broken your back. And I said, you know what? This is 2007. I just started practicing yoga a couple months ago. And he goes, that's it. 
whenever you can, you get back on that. He was so like, yeah, girl. He was like, get back on that yoga mat as soon as you can. And I will say this, what saved me in the first accident was the ability to move anything I could in any way that I could. And because I couldn't move anything from the waist down, all I could do was this. I would just like circle my arms around like crazy. I put these headphones on and I would just listen to music and I would move whatever I could in whatever way I could. After the drunk driver though, it was a totally different story. I could barely move anything. I couldn't use my hands. I was in a neck brace. I mean, I could barely move anything. So the only thing I could do was to hear that message from the doctor saying, as soon as you can get back on the yoga mat. And all I could do for the first, oh my God, I would say four or five months was just envision myself moving again. Mm-hmm. So I held, I held in my mind the vision of getting back on a bicycle, of getting on the yoga mat and of dancing. And, as so- and I didn't rush it as soon as my body was able to. I remember the day I got out of the neck brace, I laid out my yoga mat before I left for that doctor's appointment. And I had been going to the doctor over and over again, almost every day for about two or three weeks. And every time I went, he was like, no, I don't want to take it off yet. We're getting close, but I don't want to risk it. And every time I'd come home, I'd be like, oh, I'm trapped in this neck brace. And this one morning I was like, you know what? I just have a feeling today's the day. And I laid my yoga mat out. And the neck brace came off and I came home and I went into the most, what felt like the most luscious down dog I've ever experienced. Like total liberation, total freedom of this Mm. MF neck brace. And that's what this whole story, all these stories started off with me saying, I hope no one ever has to be pushed to that extreme to realize what a gift it is to move and to move whatever you've got in whatever way feels good. That's the most important thing. You want to move. You want to have fun. You don't want to feel like, oh, I have to exercise today. You don't have to do anything. You get to do things and you get to have fun and you get to feel good. So that's a, that's a mindset shift that really helped me in the past couple of years. You don't have to do anything. You get to. And that just that makes it so much more empowered. Like, oh my God, I get to move right now. After this podcast, you know what I'm going to do? I get to get on my bike and get outside in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the third one, just just real quick on on the third, yeah. I know I know I alluded to alluded to it, uh, but it's fun to share that one too because um, the the general in general a woman made a U turn into the bike lane. I was in the bike lane. <laughs> she made a U turn into the bike lane, knocked me off my bike, launched me onto the <laughs> launched me on, and I have to laugh because the way she tells the story is totally different. Um, but she launched me onto the curb and broke my pelvis mm-hmm. and or fractured, fractured my pelvis. And I will say this, having gone through everything that I'd gone through and I still have a whole, I still have a backstory that we didn't even get into, but that's a, maybe that's another podcast. You might have to invite <laughs> me back. You might have to invite me back. Um, but the, but having gone through those two things as an adult, I knew by the time that third one came, first of all, Things come in threes. So I was done by the time that <laughs> I remember being on the curb and being like, well, that's it. That's my third accident. Done. <laughs> but I had also, I had built up all these tools and practices that I knew were going to help me heal super fast. I knew I had the power to come back from the, from, from that, from, oh, well, broken pelvis, whatever. I mean, I had survived so much before then that I knew that movement meditation, mindset, nutrition, 
and creative expression, which just happened to be the five pillars of disco wellness, I knew that, and that's why they are, because I knew that by using this combination of modalities that worked for me, that's my personal recipe, I knew that using those five things in whatever way I could was going to help heal me. Mm -hmm. So just for someone who might not know, how would nutrition help heal you? Because because my first, if someone, if I broke my pelvis and I was stuck in bed, what I would want to do is eat like, I don't know, a bunch of Oreos and hang out. I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> because, and we're going to go back, we're going to take the time machine back to the first accident. So... And after that 18 wheeler, I was, I was living in a Victorian apartment in the, in the hate. And it was this windy staircase. Oh shit! So you could only imagine I did not make it up and down that staircase for quite some time. So I had friends that would bring, um, bring food to me. And I noticed that when, when friends for that first week after the accident, people were bringing me chocolate ice cream and homemade chocolate pie. I will never forget that chocolate pie. Oh my God. <laughs> And it it triggered a lot in my head because I grew up with a history of dieting, a history of binge eating, a history of eating um, as a, as a way to soothe and comfort and just get through things. And there's absolutely no shame in it. I mean, this was something that I spent almost my whole life working through and it, that, that totally triggered me. Like having these friends who just wanted to help and just wanted me to feel loved and like, uh, I, I saw these things as, as, uh, oh my goodness, I can't move. I'm just going to gain weight and then I'm going to feel even worse. And all this sugar in my system is not going to help. So after that first week, I, 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 I got to be very specific when I asked for help. I was like, okay, so I need this, this, and this from the store. I need kale. I need, I need, I knew that I knew how different my body felt by having vegetables and colorful things and fiber and nutrients and then how I felt with processed foods and sugar. And even though it was home-baked and it was homemade lusciousness, like there was, there was a time, there's a time and place for everything. And I realized after that first accident that, wow, I get to ask for help. I get to call the troops. I get to stop lone wolfing and think I could do everything on my own. I get to call in the community to help me. And I get to be very specific with what my needs are and ask for exactly what I need. I learned so many lessons. That's why I'm so happy about these accidents because I learned so many life lessons at a very young age too. That's so interesting. It almost sounds like asking for healthy food was like a survival instinct that you mm-hmm. had. It seems like you have a very strong survival instinct in general, but it <laughs> seems like, yeah, I could see, it seems like your body was like, that is not what we need right now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just to keep things totally honest and totally transparent at that time, after that, at the, uh, the 18 wheeler, and this is so funny to even remember and, and bring this up. I was training to be a personal trainer when I was smoking cigarettes. Oh. I definitely, I definitely, definitely it took me many years to find a balanced and, and truly health, health-filled life. But I was a cigarette smoker. I mean, I haven't always been an angel. <laughs> Far from. <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned through, I actually had that, that realization the other morning. I was like, wow, I used to really, oh, pretty, pretty party, party girl. I never would do anything different. I just realized how much better my body feels now to not do certain things anymore. <laughs> I mean, smoking that just, that, that stopped like 15 years ago, but during, during the, that was something that helped me get by. Yeah. Like, 
I get to sit out. I couldn't walk down the stairs, but I could sit out on our back porch thing and smoke a cigarette. That did not help my healing by any means. And I realized that the nutrients did. So by the time the pelvis thing happened, I actually asked, I asked directly for help. I said, my dad in New Jersey, I was in San Francisco. He said, how can I help you? What can I send you? Can I send you something that's going to make your life easier? And I said, you know what? I need a Vitamix. So if anybody in the audience knows what a Vitamix is, it's a pretty, I mean, not pretty, it is a totally amazing blender. And it's an expensive, it's an investment and it's worth every single penny. I have used my Vitamix multiple times a day. I don't get any money off of this, by the way. I'm not a saleswoman, <laughs> for Vitamix, but I've used it multiple times a day, every day since oh my God, uh, at least 10 years now. And I knew I needed that because I knew that nutrients were going to help me heal rapidly. And I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to stand and cook anymore. So I needed to, I needed a device that I could just throw a bunch of healthy stuff into blend up and drink. <laughs> so I just made that was that started my like real dedication to smoothies and other blended things because that immediately gets nutrients into your body. Yeah, so quick. You know, it's funny you say about being a party girl. I actually think it's I so I also had my days of partying which are not going on right now especially with the toddler but um I actually think that's really like I feel like this like joy of movement and like this it's like we just it, I think uh there's like this in I have this feeling of like I like things that are fun and feel good mm-hmm. and and at first that was like re maybe poorly uh aimed at you know, like partying or drugs and like going out, which I also don't regret at all. But I definitely yeah. have, I under, it's a similar feeling when I have like a really good run or a great yoga class. Oh, yeah. I have the same feeling. It's, I think it's like this, like uh, this urge for joy, this like, you know, walk to joy or something. I don't know. I feel like they're related somehow. Cause I, I know a lot of yoga teachers who used to have a lot, a lot of parties in their, in their day. <laughs> And I wonder too, Rebecca, if, it, if, it, if it's related to both of us having that lightness factor that we talked about earlier and that seeking of joy and pleasure in a, in a, in a light way. Mm-hmm. And so in the past, it, it was like a, almost like a quick fix, like, oh, yeah. take the drug, smoke the weed, do the thing. I still smoke weed um, <laughs> or, or, or I take weed in, I take cannabis in for different, different purposes. And it, that's the thing. It's like a completely, di- it's all about the intention, it's all like the reason why you're doing it. I'm no, I no longer do those things as, as a way to escape. I do it as a way to relax and to release. It's not to get out of my body. And in fact, I, I don't ever want to get out of my body anymore. I want to be in my body feeling things. And, and all those, all those ways of bringing that joy and producing that joy, it does change over the years. So I'm not surprised either that, and I know that I know that to be true as well about yoga instructors being, yeah. Being celebrators of life. <laughs> that is a great way to put it. Um, but I actually sort of the opposite, but I guess it's really the same thing. Something I get asked a lot, and actually people have written into the podcast a lot about already, is like how, and it seems like you're really good at it, is like how do you start a practice? How do you start a practice so that it becomes second nature? Because mm. I love movement, but I know it does take some time for you to sort of realize you love it took it take it's taken me some time to realize I love movement. So like what do you, what do you recommend to someone who's just like not, you know, like during COVID, they totally lost their workout, exercise practice, yoga practice, and they want to start again. What, what, mm-hmm. what do you recommend? 
Mm, well, I, I just first off want to say that it's such a it's such a great opportunity to take this clean slate. Mm. Um, I, 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 I stopped everything and to look at it from a different perspective. So not looking at it like, oh, I stopped. I can never start again or it's going to be so hard. Oh, my God. I don't, even, I don't even know where to start. All those feelings can be so overwhelming and you don't want any kind of overwhelm when it comes to movement. You just want movement to be pleasurable. You want it to be fun. You want it to be purposeful. And so anybody out there that has lost their, their even if you've lost the, the, the zest for, for movement, ways to get it back is I would start with just sitting and just writing a list of what brings you joy. Mm -hmm. Like what ways of moving bring you joy? Is it gardening? Is it dancing? Is it taking a walk? Where is it taking a walk? Like really start to get back into just like I did when I, this, this kind of relates to how I was describing not being able to move. So think about it that way. Think about somebody that was not able to move and wanted to. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit different, um, but I could. All I could do was imagine and picture in my mind what made me happy, and the things that always make me happy are dancing, riding my bike, and and yoga was was the new addition at that time in like two thousand five, two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, but just think of, and I, and this is, this, uh, this is going to come into how to build the, the habit and the, the desire to do it is imagine, I really want you to imagine, and you could do this practice right now. Close your eyes, take a deep breath in, open your mouth, let it go. And just think about what, just any time in your life that you're doing something with your body that brought you joy. And really think about, think about everything that was around you. Think about the environment. Think about the feelings that it gave you. Think about the warmth maybe that it gave you, the tingle, the endorphins perhaps, the relaxation perhaps. It could be anything, anything that brought you joy and just really feel what it feels like to feel the benefits of that movement. And then write it down. Well, I didn't give you any kind of like, get ahead of <laughs> ready, but you know, this is something you could do on your own and just, just, just really embody that feeling of how it felt to feel good doing something in your body and without any judgment of where your body's at right now, what your body's capable of doing right now. It's nothing like that. It's nothing about goal setting. It's nothing like that. It's just about getting in touch with your core passions for movement because once you stop doing those things, then it gets kind of, you know, it, it, it can, it can just like anything, it can dissipate and disappear. And all it takes is some, some conscious and intentional thought. Just put a little bit of thought into it and just, just make a list of maybe three to five things that you love to do or that you remember love doing. And then the next step is to go into your calendar. However you keep track of your time, create intentional. And I'm going to say, start slow, start low, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night. Just start creating the habit of bookending your day with some kind of movement. And whatever you put into those two 10-minute slots, it doesn't even matter. It just That's where you get to get in touch with your body. You get to see what you like to do. That 10 minutes, I mean, you could pick out a five-minute song, put on a five-minute song and shake your booty for five minutes and then maybe like do some stretches or maybe you'd pick two five-minute songs. There's not that many 10-minute songs. <laughs> I know as a professional playlist master, I know there's not that many 10-minute songs. Um, <laughs> you can just put music on for 10 minutes, you know, do whatever it is that may, that brings you joy. That's the, the one thing I really want you to focus on is how is this movement going to bring me joy? And that's where it's going to stick because once you start to get into that habit and that's the, it's all about that habit. It's all about 
the practice. It's about the repetition. Just as sleeping in and watching Netflix at night, sleeping in in the morning and watching Netflix at night is a habit that forms from repetition. So is the habit of waking up and asking your body, how do you want to move this morning and moving for 10 minutes? And before you go to sleep saying, what's t- what feels tight? What, what, what needs a little bit of a stretch or what do I need to move? Maybe you need another like little energy moment at the end of the day because you were sitting a lot and just giving yourself that loving attention, that loving care that in itself is, is a practice. Mm, I love that. That's a great suggestion. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. That's wonderful. Um, I am going to end with one more question mm-hmm. and it's because, because you've cy- you cycle, you've been cycling a long time. You cycle a lot, you spin. And I know a lot of people have Pelotons and a lot of people are cycling more these days. Yeah. What? Uh, uh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> if, you, if you have one, where do you live? Can I come over? I'm in downtown Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what is your favorite post cycling stretch? Like mm. favorite all time. Mm, favorite post cycling. I love to do some version of pigeon. So mm. if I'm on a bike, so when I taught, I would have people do a standing figure four stretch and I actually have two. I'm going to say two. I know you asked for one, but I'm going to say two <laughs> because this one goes often unlooked and it's so important to stretch your calves. Mm. So definitely stretch your calves after, after a ride and after a run or a walk too, because the calves are working the whole, the calves are working the whole time as you're pedaling. And the, that often gets overlooked as far as the stretch goes. So one of the ways to do that is to bring your, um, from standing, you would bring your toes up onto a surface, a part of the bike that doesn't move. So you don't want to you don't want to put this up your put, put your foot up on a pedal but on like the 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 stand in the back where it's connecting to the floor or maybe even your wall just walk over to your wall put all your toes up on one foot and then your back foot comes down a foot behind your front foot you lift up the back heel as a way to leverage into the front foot and you just with your hands on the wall just allow your body weight to kind of press into that front calf mm-hmm. or into the front toes rather and that'll open up the back side the calf and then do that on both sides and, and then the standing figure four, just taking one ankle across the opposite thigh, flexing those top toes back towards the top knee to protect the knee, and then putting some gentle pressure either with the heel of the palm into the hip crease of the, the leg that's being stretched, or you can just press into the upper thigh. And if you have the space and the time and the luxury of, of popping into a pigeon, pop into a pigeon. <laughs> yoga, yoga after spinning is the bomb combo. Oh my goodness. It's like the best, com- it's a power combo. It's the power couple of, of movement. It truly is. I love it as well. And I actually lied to you. I have one more question, which is where <laughs> can everyone find you? I know they're going to be wanting to take your classes. So where can oh we find goodness. you? <laughs> oh my goodness. I would love for you to take classes with me. So just so you know, audience, I am in the PST as far as, as time zones go. I'm in California. I'm in the Bay Area. And I teach two, well, so I have two classes that I offer per week that, that are part of my membership site. So you can find me on discowellness.com and you can find me at Disco Wellness or Amy Woe pretty much anywhere in any kind of social media um, universe. Um, and also, oh, you know what? I don't know if I have this up on my, ooh, I have to check my website, but I do offer a Thursday class that you can do a drop in. So I have two classes that I teach on two. It's the same class, same style. It's a hit, a 45 minute hit. 
um, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, PST, 12.15 to 1 p.m. And if you become a member, what I like to call my disco ballers, if you become a disco baller, there's three different levels. I'm not going to go into all the details. You can find it on the website. Uh, but you could take those classes with me. You could also find me through Left Coast Power Yoga. I teach two hit yoga flows. There, That's an hour-long class. And then I also have spaces available for personal training and mindset coaching. That's another thing I do. I forgot to mention in the very, very beginning, mindset coaching. <laughs> well, I feel like we got a free session today. So thank you yes! so much. <laughs> lots of tips. Oh, yes. Lots of tips. <laughs> um, and for anyone who's wondering if they should work with Amy, I will just say Amy is the first person that's ever made squats fun for me. <gasps> so I highly recommend, especially I, I think she's as a yogi, it was really great for me to get into a little more strengthening and Amy's really helped me do that. So highly recommend her classes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. That's okay. right. I will, I will make a squat of Palooza for you. Anyway. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> well, thanks again, Amy. It's been great chatting. Oh, Talk thank soon. you for having me on. I've loved being here. <laughs> Audience, stay well, move and have fun. Have fun. Thanks so much. Bye, Amy. Bye. <laughs> Talking to Amy feels like a trip, honestly. Like it was so fun hearing about her enthusiasm for all her different practices. And I don't know, it just, she, her energy just takes you somewhere else or took me somewhere else in that interview. I almost felt like when we were done talking, I had like gone on like a mini lunch cruise or something. Like just got out of town, came back home again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was really fun. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Our sutra today actually builds on really what I was talking about earlier in this episode and also in last week's episode um, because uh, the yoga sutras often there'll be like one sutra and then the following sutra is kind of colored in so you can think of like 246 that uh, stiram sukham asanam as being kind of the outline and then 247 the sutra we're talking about today is kind of what colors it in so stiram sukham asanam uh, is just that you know that asana or the way you root yourself in the earth should have a balance of steadiness and discipline. That's what stiram is. And sukham, which is that ease and comfort and joy. Um, and then 247 says that r- relaxing tension or another way of saying that maybe is preconceived notions. By doing that, equilibrium will fall down on you. Or the literal translation is you'll have a raining down of peace. Um, and I I really like the way that Jason Bowman talks about this. I think it kind of puts, it puts it in really good perspective. He says, and this is from one of his lectures about the Yoga Sutras. He says, the means of perfecting the posture is by relaxing effort or really letting go of the way you think things should be. This allows you to be more present and spread out in whatever experience you're having Therefore, achieving balance with your mind and body and with the infinite or a coalescence. Uh, So that if we can balance the effort and the discipline it takes to pay attention and stay awake with also the ease and the even joy of... uh, the joy of 
accepting the present moment as it is, not kind of bucking up against it, but accepting it, uh, then we'll have a raining down of peace, (laughs) which, right, so it's such a tall order, really, that, you know, constantly, and not just in every asana, not in every practice, but every way that we root ourselves to the earth, every, you know, the way that you walk into a room, the way that you sit at the table with your family, the way that you take the train should have this balance of stirum and sukum, this balance of being awake and disciplined in staying aware with ease and joy and acceptance in whatever is happening, right? Not what we thought would happen or what we hoped would happen, but acceptance of what is actually happening. But, but when you do that, and, and maybe it's only for a moment when you can find that balance and, you know, very occasionally I have, but when you can find that balance, you'll have this raining down of peace. So I always imagine the raining down of peace being like it being a really hot day. And there's just like a, the gentlest rain of like a cool rain, right? That suddenly you go from this sense of like agitation to just this sense of like complete relaxation and peace. Um... And it's, it's the, um, really the ability to stay present is just as important as the ability to soften around that presence. Um, the way that, uh, Satchidananda talks about it, um, he says that you can find steadiness and posture, find steadiness in your posture by relaxing the effort required to sustain it. You can find comfort and ease in your posture by focusing on the infinite. So he's really, he's really emphasizing those uh, opposites there, right? That from the way to find steadiness is to relax, right? The way to find steadiness in warrior two is not to hang on as tight as you can, but to sort of soften what you can. The way to find comfort and ease is by focus. The, the, uh, really, the way to find true ease and true joy and true comfort is by staying aware and awake. <laughs> uh, I, I'm laughing because all of these things are so much easier said than done. <laughs> uh, but totally worth the experience. Like, Don't you want a raining down of peace? <laughs> I want peace to rain on me. <laughs> Um, yeah, and just the way that, um, the ability to spread out into a moment, right? The way that Jason Bowman talks about it, the way that you can just spread out into whatever experience you're having instead of sort of tightening and, um, hardening away from it, but in, in whatever experience, you know, at stuck in traffic, can you spread out in that experience? Like, in the middle of an argument, can you spread out into that experience? It's funny that when Jason Bowman said that in, in uh, a lecture I was out with him, I'd been teaching a while and practicing a long time, not a long time, but some time, a couple of years. And I remembered when I first started doing yoga, uh, I hadn't seen my best friend Olivia for a long time. And I got home, you know, or I at that point, it still felt like going home, but it was, I went back to New Jersey and New York where I grew up. And, uh, I remember Olivia saying, she hadn't seen me in a while and I'd been doing yoga 
And she said, oh, you, you just take up so much more space now. And that was like the biggest compliment. And I do think that's something the yoga practice has given me and gives everyone, uh, or hopefully gives everyone who um, practices, is this ability to kind of spread out into yourself, spread out into the moment, spread out into yourself. <sighs> I will leave you with that. Um, I, we won't be back. The podcast won't be back for two weeks because next Friday is Christmas and wow, <laughs> next Friday is Christmas and the Friday after is New Year's. So I'm going to take two weeks off and learn how to use this new mic I got. So get ready for some amazing sound in the new year. Uh, and also, you know, work on some other stuff. But um, so I will be back uh, January 8th with a new podcast. And if in the time being you have some time and you'd like to tell me about your practice uh, for the podcast or just, you know, send me an email and chat about something, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, okay. Have a good day. Have a good practice. Bye.